0: So Eva is our main character, and she's um, a, a mother who finds out from Jessica, an attorney, that that she's been sterilized, and she has to decide like whether or not she's going to join these nine other women in the in the court case. And for Eva, she was pretty like much a culmination of like a lot of these different women's stories and, and like court reports that I read. Um, and the lawyer she her story just like really spoke to me because she was so young she's 26 I I just turned 27 but like again having to go up against like USC which is like Mm -hmm. where I go to school and I have a hard enough time just like trying to like get teachers on board with things like I can't imagine being in a court room with them Mm -hmm. um, at 26 So I just I wanted to her characters stay pretty close but the mother's um, is more kind of culmination of a lot of these different women's stories so Melina Bovalia she is amazing and she plays our lead character Um, she grew up in East LA and her um, boyfriend is actually a doctor now at the USC um, LA County Hospital and he works with doctors to make sure that these sort of practices and like biases aren't, aren't happening now. So she was really close to the content and I think her passion for the story really comes through um, and made it so amazing for me to work with her.
1: What's going on everyone? Welcome to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that reimagines what society considers normal, each week, I interview different guests about the topics that they're most passionate about. And this week, I had the opportunity of interviewing Catherine Boyd-Batstone, a director, photojournalist, and cinematographer. She is the director and writer of Four Rosa, a short film inspired by the Madrigal 10 an event where 10 Mexican-American women from Los Angeles filed a lawsuit against the University of Southern California Medical Center, alleging that medical personnel coerced them into submitting to sterilization. I had never heard of the Madrigal 10 case before coming across this short film. The events that happened and the judge's rulings are something that we can all learn from and apply those lessons today as women's reproductive rights are still being threatened. So I encourage everyone to go read more about the case. As of this recording, the film for Rosa is currently still not out. However, Catherine hooked me up with the exclusive sneak peek preview link, and it was fantastic. The whole film was amazing. I don't want to reveal too much, but she and the rest of the cast did an incredible job telling the story. So make sure you hit up the show notes and connect with Catherine so you can get updated when the film drops. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you get notified every time a new episode drops. And please, 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 as always, leave us a review if you enjoy the content. Without further ado, my name is Xavier Diaz, and you're now listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast. You're listening to A Pretty Normal Podcast, a show that highlights the fascinating stories and thought provoking moments that make up our lives. My name is Xavier Diaz, and I want to hear your story. excited to be here with Catherine boyd batstone you are a director cinematographer and a photojournalist. and from what i've seen it was recently your birthday and you completed your master in fine arts degree so congratulations
0: thank and you happy much. birthday <laughs> thank you it was a big day <laughs>
1: is it is it weird completing your degree uh like while we're in shutdown and in quarantine
0: yes very much so um We, the cohort that I graduated with, like everyone that was in my program, we were all so close and so excited to celebrate together. So it was a little bit sad not being able to have that moment of graduation, but um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Right,
1: what, what a crappy time for this to be happening. Like you go those two years or however long it was completing this and then you're finally at the finish line and they're just like, all right, you can't celebrate. You can't go anywhere with your family. Yep. <laughs> horrible. Horrible. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I want to get into the film for Rosa. That is uh, what primarily drove me to reach out to you for for an interview. But I do want to get to know more about you beforehand. Uh, tell me about your, um, your background in cinematography and video filmmaking and how you got into this work.
0: Yeah. So I've always been interested in photography. Um, I started off doing more kind of nature photography. And uh, my grandmother, she had Alzheimer's all throughout the time that I was growing up. Um, And so I kind of found photography as a way to disconnect somewhat emotionally from what was happening. And then also it was a way to capture memories and make sure that like they weren't forgotten in in a way that like she was experiencing, just forgetting everyone around her. Um, So I've always just been drawn to that power of photography to to capture moments and memories. Um, and in undergrad, I decided to pursue a degree in photojournalism. And I was going to school at the time where newspapers were starting to shift from solely photojournalism and adapting to more uh, video as well. So I started to learn how to do documentaries and, and fell in love with that. Um, and I realized I needed to go to film school When there was kind of like a, I hit, um, there was kind of like a cap on how much I could learn from journalists around me who had never experienced video. And so I decided to.
1: Awesome. And I I saw you also do music videos. So what's your favorite medium of, of storytelling and of filmmaking? Um,
0: I don't, I, you know, I don't know if I have one. I think it's. Um, I What I love is, is just being able to tell authentic stories, mm-hmm. and so that's kind of in response to whoever's in front of the camera, and however I feel like it best tells, is a reflection of who they are.
1: Awesome, and I, I saw you're also the social video producer for Me Too not to be confused with the Me Too movement. I know that they sound kind of similar, Me Too and and Me Too. Um, So can you tell me more about Me Too and what that organization is trying to do?
0: Yeah, so um, Me Too's gone through a couple different evolutions. um, But when I started, it was really a kind of social media platform specifically for Latinx content. Mm -hmm. And um, so I came on to help with the Snapchat. Um, and so we were creating videos, um, every day and uploading on the Snapchat and, and for YouTube, uh, and, and then they kind of went through a merch section as well. So I helped kind of make promotional stuff for their merchandise, but it's, it's all that's like, um, focused on Latinx content.
1: Mm, And, and you do a ton of work for the Latinx community as in like in, in putting out these messages and raising awareness to issues that the community faces do you have any latinx um heritage in you right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, i i i don't i my it's funny because my both my parents are fluent in spanish and they put me through bilingual education mm-hmm. so kindergarten to fifth grade everything was in spanish for me um and like I was like the only little like white girl in my classes, and so, um, <laughs> um, and I've just kind of continued that Spanish education throughout. Um, so I'm not I'm not Latina, um, and I, I try to hopefully walk that line of being respectful, um, mm-hmm. but. I- I've just always been passionate about helping share these stories and stop stereotypes
1: so yeah yeah it's awesome like i, I watched i just watched the documentary you did with the um deaf latinos organization yes. that was a great 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 documentary superb uh filmmaking and the the cinematography all the coloring and everything was really great and then the message and the awareness that you're trying to raise for this family that had to go through so much is amazing and i'm looking at all your work and i'm like she does so much for the latinx community and i was trying to figure out like what is her tie here but it's awesome that you just appreciate the culture and you did you grow up in la is I that did. why so you have always been around like a big hispanic uh population
0: yeah yeah and working mm-hmm. at me too as well as like all the content there um had that focus and so yeah mm.
1: and so when when you set out to make uh, a documentary or whatever it is that you're making, how do you choose topics? Like what influences what you want to uh, like, tell a story about? How do you find the things that you're going to cover?
0: I, it's um, a good question. It's usually either something that I'm dealing with in my personal life of like trying to figure out or like with the, the Latinos y Familias one, that, that one i just was noticing there was just like a lack of like content for asl in in spanish or and so i started doing research and, and found Edma and evelyn the, the the founders of the organization and um i think i think for documentary especially it's it's how welcoming or how 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 we communicate with each other and Iman and Evelyn just invited me over and we sat and talked for like three hours um, and they kind of shared their struggles and challenges with me and um, I was just so drawn to their openness that I wanted more people to be able to see that.
1: Mm, Amazing. And so let's get to For Rosa, the film. I just watched it. it, It's not out, right? So I I feel honored. (laughs) I got this exclusive link. I got the password and everything to enter. And it was great. Superb. Awesome. I loved it. I loved it. It's so good. What did coronavirus kind of stop the rollout of this or what happened?
0: Yeah, so it is um, a film for my thesis project uh, for grad school. Um, We were fortunate that we filmed uh, right at the end of October. And so um, we've been in post-production since then. And the school actually shut down the day we were supposed to do sound mixing. So we've just kind of tried to pivot and finish sound mixing remotely. we we kind of lucked out. I I emailed the sound designer of Roma, and it was just like, would you ever want to sound mix a student film? And he agreed. So um, he's working on it now. Um, so we kind of had to pivot a little bit for uh, because of the virus. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't we didn't get like a school screening, and festivals have been canceled. So um, we're we're trying to pivot and trying to do like private online screenings for people mm-hmm. um and so yeah it's we're just kind of
1: evolving and pivoting. So. yeah you got to adapt and can so tell me a little bit about the film for listeners who obviously haven't seen it yet because it's not out wh- what is it about it centers around the madrigal 10 uh group of latina women who were sterilized uh without consent while giving birth so can you tell me a little bit more about how you found out about this topic what drew you into this and then just the overall just creating this film
0: yeah uh, I first learned about it when I saw the documentary No Mas Bebes, which um, was a, a documentary about uh, interviewing about um, six or so of the Madrigal 10 women um, and depicting their experience. And I was living in San Antonio, Texas at the time, and I had just never heard about it. And, um, you know, my mom worked at the she was a social worker at the hospital like years later. and the fact that this just got buried and then when I moved back to L.A. and I was working at Mithu and a lot of my co-workers were from East L.A. and some of them had heard about it and some hadn't um I just felt like this was an important story to remember and make sure that it wasn't forgotten because I, I I can't imagine something like that happening to you and then having to defend yourself in a court setting and for these women to have to stand up like that i just wanted to be able to honor their strength
1: and so i i saw um the characters that you that you wrote up they're they're fictional but they represent people that were actually in the case right how close to the actual case did you want to get with with this film
0: yeah we um so eva is our main character and she's um a a mother who finds out from jessica an attorney that that she's been sterilized and she has to decide like whether or not she's going to join these nine other women in the in the court case. And for Eva, she was pretty like much a culmination of like a lot of these different women's stories and, and like court reports that I read. Um, and the lawyer, she her story just like really spoke to me because she was so young, she was 26. I, I just turned 27, but like, again having to go up against like usc which is like mm-hmm. okay the school and i have a hard enough time just like trying to like get teachers on board with things like i can't imagine being in a court room with them mm-hmm. um, at 26. so i just i wanted to her characters stay pretty close but the mother's um is more kind of a culmination of a lot of these different women's stories
1: mm. and and what was it like working with these great strong latinx actors who are playing characters who are fictional, but they represent people that were real in real life, lived in communities like them, looked like them, and were being affected by these these measures and that the hospital were taking. What was it like for you working with and picking out and casting all of these uh, actors?
0: Yeah, so Melina Bo- Bovalia, she is amazing, and she plays our lead character. Um, she grew up in East LA, and her um, boyfriend, is actually a doctor now at the USC um, LA County Hospital, and he works with doctors to make sure that these sort of practices and like biases aren't aren't happening now. So she was really close to the content, and I think her passion for the story really comes through um, and made it so amazing for me to work with her because um, she she knew where all the emotion was coming from. Uh, and then Ivania Reyes plays the lawyer, and um, she she just had this like cool, calm, collectedness that fits so well for for the lawyer. And I was I was so thrilled to be working with her too.
1: Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's a great cast. And it without ruining too too much of it, but you know, people can go look up the actual case of it. The the hospital actually wins. The judge rules in favor of the hospital against the women. Um, and it's, it's one of these cases where you hear the details of it and you're like, well, you know, this is clear cut. They sterilized these women without their consent. So they should, obviously they're in the right. And, but the judge rules against it and kind of says that it was, it was more misunderstanding and miscommunication because the women didn't speak English. What do you think of like the, the case and, and how it turned out and what lessons do you think we can take from that case? and apply to today when reproductive rights for women are again coming under attack.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um, it was really interesting doing research on the case because they they like hired an anthropologist to s- like study I, I like different communities that were going through the hospital and and their ruling was like well culturally I don't know if I'm going to get the wording right, but it was just like very,
1: um... Yeah, I I read, if I could, if I can intercept just to, it might be the same thing you're talking about. The judge was saying that it was basically like these women were under emotional distress because they grew up in rural Mexico and they thought that like, their value came from the, the children that they could have. And now that they couldn't have children, they thought that, it was, that they were worthless or whatever. So he was saying it was more about like their cultural upbringings and, and instead of the actual sterilization. It's something that I read and I was like, what? Yeah. I can't believe he actually said this. Like, this is what the judge really made his conclusion based off of?
0: Yeah, so that part is just like, astounding to me because that doesn't make sense at all Mm -hmm. Um, and then looking at historical context like I tried to include some of this in the film but there was this idea of like war on poverty and welfare coming under attack a lot and um, and uh, like a boom in population um, and then also like birth control coming in and so there's just like all all these factors um, but Yeah, ultimately like this should not have happened to so many women
1: so yeah it's it's crazy and i i read a little bit about what you were saying too like it was just like a perfect storm of things like federal initiatives to try and do more family planning and to cut down on birth like fear of rising populations and stuff and it was all just like a perfect storm that culminated then do you think something like that could happen now like in 2020 and 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 the judge still rule in favor of the hospital
0: Yeah, um, I, well, I mean, it recently came about that this has been happening in Canada to indigenous women, um, if you look at, like, the history of Planned Parenthood and Black women in the South, more, and this, like, still happens now, you look at which communities are being, um, pressured into taking birth control and practicing, like, uh, uh, family planning, Mm -hmm. and, um, And yeah, you look at Puerto Rican women, it happened. Peruvian women, it happened. Um, So there's just all these cases that have just happened recently too, so. Mm.
1: Yeah. And then another thing I saw, so it was like the, the court obviously ruled in favor of the hospital. The hospital won. But after that, the California Department of Health like created this 72-hour waiting period before sterilization. And they tried to put in like these booklets so that you they were in Spanish and that there was less misunderstanding and miscommunications. So in that way, I guess progress was made. And then do you think, are you going to ever make a continuation of For Rosa? Will we ever see like um, you know what happens after the conclusion? What happens during? I don't want to say what what actually the film <laughs> focuses on, but will um, there be more more to this story from you?
0: Yeah, I um I'm currently writing the feature, um with um Ashley Flores, as my producer. Uh, so yeah, I would I would love the opportunity to tell a fuller story because I the the film that I did is only 20 minutes and it it just takes a look at one little turning point in their story, but um, it's such a rich story um, mm-hmm. that I'd love to tell. Yeah, what happened to the court case, more about the lawyer, all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to ruin it for people, but <laughs> but there is, like, I was reading about it and I was like, wow, there's a lot more that you can explore. There's a lot of feelings and things that happen. Obviously, like, just speaking in general, when it comes to infertility, the the strain it puts on families and relationships, like, all of that is, is deep emotions that people should explore. What Do you have any projects, uh, in the future that you're thinking about or that you want to start working on once all this quarantine is over
0: yeah i uh so i'm also a cinematographer um and i was um supposed to be shooting a few films for for classmates for their thesis projects Mm -hmm. so i'm hoping once quarantine lifts i can um yeah film those for them and then yeah there's there's yeah i really would love to do the feature version of Four rosa i yes. hope that can happen
1: <laughs> yes yeah, so that would be awesome and what do you think that the future of filmmaking is going to be like after quarantine and because of coronavirus like a lot of times these films take big crews to like be there it takes a lot of work a lot of people putting in um time to to make everything happen and so do you think Filmmaking will now have to like be socially distanced like everybody on set just like say wear masks be away from each other And what do you and then film festivals as well because that's something that got canceled And that sucks because a lot of times great movies get premiered here and a lot of smaller um, Filmmakers get to like that's their opportunity to present their work to larger audiences What do you think the future of filmmaking and film festivals is like after all of this quarantine and stuff?
0: Yeah um... Well, it's it's interesting because I was talking about this with a friend yesterday and um, just the filmmaking process is actually so militant in a way it's very hierarchical of like who reports to who and you know that's there's there's a lot of efficiency that comes with that um, but uh, I in some ways I'm, I'm kind of excited to see if that might shift a little bit with having to restructure things for the virus and having to have like smaller crews and, and work more collaboratively, collaboratively. Um, so in some ways I'm kind of like excited for that reshaping because I, I was never a fan of like how hierarchical things. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think art can be very collaborative and people can have ideas. And it doesn't matter like what position they are. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have heard that like crews will be smaller in some ways, it might be more... Uh, you might have more of an advantage if you can do more jobs, which is good and bad. Um, and I also feel like they're going to have like cruise quarantined together, and mm-hmm.
1: then
0: they'll be added time at the beginning and end of the day where you have to, like, have your temperature taken and, like, sterilize everything. But, but crews will all be located together in, like, the same spot. Um, mm-hmm. And then for film festivals, I know that there's more live screening things happening, um, but I think there's also an opportunity there to to be able to cold call like um, agents and managers, and to to be able to invite them to to things that maybe they wouldn't have gone to in the past. So. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the silver lining and all of this. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely am gonna miss like being able to be in person because I know the, the live screenings and stuff are cool, but obviously there's a different like aspect to like being in in person for s- certain events, like stand up comedy. You want to be there. It's not the yeah. same just watching a comedian like through a screen. And then the the premieres of movies is really cool because you get to see the directors, you get to meet them, they get to usually speak a little bit, and those things. I feel like they get watered down when it comes to when you have to do it online. But right. yeah, you got to find a silver lining because what else are you going to do? You can't just live your life pessimistically and super upset that these things are going to be gone. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask you was um, about, hold on, let me find this here. These are good
0: questions by the way. <laughs> ah, thank Sorry. you. I
1: appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, And so, oh yeah, that's, that's what it was. Um, do you think that filmmakers benefit you got your your master's in fine arts. There's a lot of filmmakers that don't go on to pursue graduate degrees. Do you think that this that's something that's necessary? And why? What was the reasoning for you to want to extend your your education in this?
0: Yeah. So I I decided to go to school because I when I started I thought I was just going to do a documentary and I felt like I had reached the cap of like what I could learn from from the people around me at newspapers because they hadn't had any like official training on on film either um and then once I got to school I started learning more about like narrative filmmaking and and really fell in love with that um and I think for for UFC specifically it's it's not a trade school so I don't feel like I learned a lot of technical skills in the classroom but what I did gain was like this amazing group of friends and collaborators and so I think there's so much positiveness to come from, from that but I, um, when I, when I've worked on like crews outside of school and stuff like I meet so many people there too that I think I don't think it's necessary to go to school it's like mm-hmm. it's, once you get on projects you start meeting so many people that I think anyone can build that network
1: Mm, so, so, what was it just for you? The reasoning why you wanted to go pursue your education, if, if you feel like you know that it's not something that is necessary.
0: Um, I, I didn't know how. Well, okay, I was living in Texas, and I, I wanted to come back to LA, um, and so school was kind of like an opportunity to come, come home,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then I. I, I felt like there was like a lot of technical things that I didn't know even though that's not <laughs> what I really learned um, specifically with cinematography I it can be a, like a technical skill and like there's a lot of, about cameras that I felt like I didn't know yet that I wanted to learn um, so that was kind of my, my base reasoning going into it. And then I, I stayed, because uh, there was like moments where I, I was like, I don't know if this is worth it. And I was looking at AFI, because they're a lot more technical. And I started working on on their sets and learning so much more from the people there. Um, but I, I stayed because of like the the people in my cohort and like the amazing stories they were telling and and wanting to like be part Uh, of their stories
1: yeah and then another thing that i just thought of like just the access to equipment is so crucial too that you get at when you're at universities because filmmaking isn't cheap it's definitely not like a cheap thing if you want to get the really good high quality and there's a lot that goes into the lighting the audio recording the the camera itself the lens all that is is great access that you get at universities what did you film for rosa on
0: yeah, we filmed on a uh, Red Dragon, um, but what was more important to me was the lenses because um, I wanted them to have this kind of like vintage feel so that it felt like it was a f- film from the 70s. So we used Cook anamorphic lenses. Um, I think we we're actually like made in the 70s.
1: Mm, awesome. And And what advice do you give to cinematographers, filmmakers that are just starting out? Uh, especially cinematography because it's something that is so hands-on and I feel like people don't appreciate it as much as they should because it, it literally makes the whole movie. It creates at, the mood, the atmosphere, um, you know, the lighting is everything. It really can can create a, just a mood that is either happy or sad or whatever it is just based on the lighting, just based on the colors and everything. So what advice do you give to cinematographers?
0: Yeah, so i just going back to like the film school idea. Um, I think for cinematography, especially if you're if you're a DP, you're in this leadership role and people are you're, you're having to give um, directions to a lot of people below you. And and just there's not like that many women cinematographers. And so learning how to kind of navigate those roles, it's interesting being in a leadership role and also learning. Um, and so I think film school kind of helped create some space for, for that so that now that I'm graduated, hopefully I can like go into things a little bit more confident about like what I'm doing and, and be able to give directions more confidently. Um, so I, as far as advice, I think um, try things out and like be patient with yourself to, to gain that confidence. Um, cause confidence comes from experience and, um, yeah, just go easy on yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And do you, do you think, uh, that filmmakers have to learn, like they should get their feet wet in all the roles, like they should learn a little bit of editing, cinematography, a little bit of sound. Do you think it's possible to just have one role or do you think that everybody now in today's climate, like you need to be more well-rounded?
0: I think it depends on like who you have around you as well. Um, I think it's definitely helpful if you know a little bit of um, what everyone's role is so you can understand what you're asking of them. Um, but like, I'm, I'm not as confident with sound. And so, um, but I had a like a post-production supervisor, Shayna, who really understood sound. And so she was able to take more of a leadership role during that portion for me. Um, but I, I saw, like, the limitations of me, like, not understanding sound as well. And things moved a lot slower because of that. So um, I think it's good to, like, be focused. But also, yeah, understand what you're asking of people.
1: Yeah, and it gives you more, like, a sense of appreciation to all all the roles that everybody's doing on set. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you let the listeners know where they can find you, where they could find... Um, the film once it's out when it might be out and uh just how they can connect with you if they want to speak with you more and learn more about you
0: yeah um so you can follow me on instagram and that's um katherine boyd bat k-a-t-h-r-y-n-b-o-y-d-b-a-t um and the film for rosa is on instagram as for rosa film um, we are hoping to do a few private um, live screenings online so more information will be coming about that um, and yeah yeah. let me know if you have any questions
1: hey thank you so much for coming on the show today Catherine Boyd Boyd, Boyd Batstone long name uh, it, yeah, it was <laughs> awesome speaking with you it was awesome watching the film thank you for, for giving me the opportunity to watch it before it was released and I'm excited I hope you do Uh, complete like a full-length feature because it was great and there is a lot of deep emotions that you can really um, you know express through film in from that story of the Madrigal 10 so thank you for covering that it's something that I know a lot of people don't know about I didn't know about it until I came across uh, for Rosa on Instagram and then I reached out and looked into it and I was like wow this is amazing and it's, it's great when, when people like you are raising awareness on issues that are, are just not really spoken about in the media. So thank you for all the work that you do and for the work you do for the Latinx community.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you. This is really awesome. I appreciate hey,
1: it. No problem. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you to everyone who supports the show and has shared the show with a friend or a loved one. A special thank you to our guest, Catherine Boyd-Batstone, for coming on the show. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Twitter is at Pretty Normal Pod. Instagram and Facebook are at A Pretty Normal Podcast, and message me if you'd like to come on the show or if there's any topic you want me to cover. My name is Xavier Diaz, and this was A Pretty Normal Podcast.